But before we begin that, I'd like dad jokes or puns. I heard a couple of them recently. I even tried them out on my family. They went over like a lead balloon. Because <laughs> they're, they're groaners. But uh, two boll weevils, you know what a boll weevil is? It's an insect that eats cotton down south, right? Two boll weevils grew up in South Carolina. One went to Hollywood and became a famous actor. Uh, the other stayed behind in the cotton fields and never amounted to much. So the second one naturally became known as the lesser of two weevils. Come on, let's have some groans. Well, then there was two Eskimos sitting in a kayak. They got chilly and cold, and when they built a fire, the kayak sank. That proved, once again, you can't have your kayak and heat it too. Come on. Those are bad, aren't they? <laughs> I try to have some jokes for my grandsons down in Florida, and they don't like my jokes either, so. Well, maybe you've, uh, at one time or another, I don't know if you've ever done this, but watched America's Funniest Videos, or some bloopers, you know, on a particular TV show. And there's something funny about watching other people mess up, unless it's you, and you mess up, and or maybe get hurt. <laughs> but uh, I think if, if we realize Real life problems are nothing really to laugh at, especially if they happen to you. But like bloopers, some pretty awful things can uh, have made an unwelcome entry on the screen of your life. And if you're not going through a hard time now, just wait, you will. Sorry to say, but that's the way life is. We have our hard times that come you know, and if you're not having a hard time, well, maybe, you know, the devil says, I'm not going to bother them because they're, they're not serving the Lord anyway. But that's the nature of living in the world like ours. Pain is guaranteed for anyone who takes on the risk of living. I'm not talking about just pain, like falling off a ladder or breaking a uh, an ankle or something. I'm not talking just about that kind of pain. But some, some of us, and some of you may be in the furnace of suffering right now. Others may have come out of it, and the rest of us will be there sooner or later. But going through bad times brings about a couple of questions. People often ask, what have I done to deserve this kind of treatment? Or why does God allow this to happen? So we wonder, did God just make a blooper? Or is this just a bad pun like the pastor gives? Or is it a big mistake? Well, the scriptures we're looking at today are most commonly asked question about God. And sometimes it's been referred to as the Achilles heel of Christianity. George Barna, you've heard of him as a public opinion pollster, conducted a natural, national survey in which he polled adults and he said, if you could ask God one question, what would you ask? And the top response was this, 
Why is there pain and suffering in the world? That's the most asked question uh, that uh, he came across. Now, this is not just an intellectual issue to be debated in the academic classrooms, but it becomes a real personal matter, doesn't it? It sometimes can leave us uh, spiritually dizzy. One writer referred to the problem of pain as the question mark that turns like a fish hook in the human heart. So we're going to look at this, why bad things happen. And the Bible helps us to see that there are four reasons. And we're looking at Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. But notice the first reason is personal sin. And this explains why there is so much moral evil in the world. In order to understand this, we need to go back to the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. And of course, we read there that God created Adam and Eve in his image, but that doesn't mean they looked like God, because they, but instead that they were given the ability to make some rational choices. Now, we're like God in the sense that we are a tripartite being. We have a body, soul, and a spirit, like God is God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we kind of uh, reflect that image in our body, soul, and spirit. But God did not create evil. Rather, he created the possibility of evil when he created human beings. And we have actually that potential, potentiality. God gave Adam and Eve some moral parameters, and they were very clearly told that they could what they could do and what they could not do. They chose to defy and disobey God's standards. And ever since that day, every one of us have been born without ability to make choices and with the same rebellious bent for sin. Now we can make decisions that either build others up or tear them down. In other words, our actions are often a direct impact on other people. So here in Luke 13 and verse 1, it tells us about a group of people who came up to Jesus and asked him, why Pilate murdered some men and women while they were worshiping in the temple. He says, there were present at the season some and told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. After killing them, Pilate took their blood and mixed it with the blood of their sacrifices. Now, we as a country would ask a similar question after a mass shooter goes in shooting spree at a church killing multiple people. And both groups of worshipers were murdered because of the sinful choices made by two different men separated by two centuries. Or more than almost, uh, more than that, I mean, maybe 2,000 years. And it would be Pontius Pilate and the church shooter. Now, you may wonder at this point why God doesn't step in and prevent people from doing bad things. You know, he could have made Timothy McVeigh, you remember Timothy McVeigh, blew up the federal building in uh, Oklahoma City? He could have made him have an accident before it ever happened. That God could have done that. Or how about the terrorist uh, took over the planes and crashed into the buildings in New York City? He could have prevented that. But then again, we're not robots, and you see our freedom gives us the ability to hurt others. 
number of years ago, there was a best-selling book that was written. It was called What? When Bad Things Happen to Good People. Now, the title is deceiving because the Bible says there is no such thing as a good person. There's none good, no, not one. And so God's image has been tarnished. We're, we could say we're good stuff that's gone bad. We're defaced masterpieces. We're rebellious children. We're not just imperfect people uh, who need to grow. The Bible says we are rebe uh, rebels and we need to lay down our arms. We need to confess our sins. We need to repent of our sins. And when sinful people make decisions, God allows them to play out. There are consequences to bad decisions. And sometimes those consequences result in some bad things happening to you and to others. And I'm not suggesting that we always suffer in direct proportion to our sin, but we wonder why people grow up going to Sunday school, hearing Bible stories, singing songs about Jesus, and then turn out to be sinful, rebellious, anti-God, going against everything they ever learned. Well, in Luke chapter 13, verse 2, Jesus addresses this when he says, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all Galileans, because they suffered such things? What I am saying is that many bad things are related to sin, personal sin. But then there's a second cause of bad things, and it has to do with natural evil, and we would say corporal sin. The Bible teaches us that this is the result of our corporal sin. We live in a disease and death environment. Both Adam and Eve exercised their free will. They rebelled against God. And before they did that, there were no earthquakes. There were no hurricanes. There were no natural disasters or diseases. And then they come rolling onto the scene. And after uh, Adam and Eve sinned against God. And when Adam and Eve told God, hey, we're not interested in you. He partially honored their request. Nature began to revolt. The earth was cursed. There was a genetic breakdown and diseases were unleashed to do their work of destruction. Pain and death became a part of human experience. Listen to how God describes the consequences of their decisions in Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground, for thy sake, in the sorrow, shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns and thistles shall bring forth to thee. All those thorn, thorny stickers I had to hoe when I was a kid is a result of Adam and Eve. And it was passed down to you and me. In the picturesque story of Genesis, disobedience results in shame, alienation from God and others but it's also a disruption of nature. Romans chapter 8, verse 22 describes the present state of our planet. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. You know, natural disasters, diseases are making inroads because the whole creation is groaning on the pressure of God's judgment. And this is all set in motion the moment Adam and Eve defied God's parameters. Jesus continues here in Luke chapter 13, verse 4 and 5, 
by raising the question about the 18 construction workers who died when the tower of Siloam fell on them. Think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, nay. You see, things were out of whack. Accidents happen. Rivers flood. Tornadoes touch down. As a result of corporate sin. Then there's satanic influence. I want to, to briefly mention this third reason behind terrible tragedies. Many bad things are a result of the devil's destructive designs. And we can't blame him for everything. But Satan is ultimately behind hatred, war, oppression, evil. And he works behind the scenes to inflame our passions and to prompt us to make bad choices. Satan is out to spoil God's world in every possible way he can. 1 John 3.8 says, He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. Ephesians 6.11, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So studying the scriptures, you'll find almost 30 different ways from Genesis all the way to Revelation, and maybe even more than 30, how the devil is working and Jesus referred to him as a murderer in John chapter 8, verse 44. So Satan is certainly influencing the world today. That brings us to God's providence. And this may be hard for us to swallow, but God is in control. I mentioned that earlier today, but I really believe God is in control. He allows suffering. He allows people to get sick, to have cancer. To, uh, he allows these things to go through pain. But yet he's a good, a good God, even when bad things happen. And that goes right to the heart of the question, doesn't it? If God is good, why does he allow evil? I'd be the first to admit that I don't fully understand this one, but I know that God is good and I know that bad things happen. It's all a part of his plan somehow. And God puts it this way in Isaiah 55 and verse 9. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. There must be some reasons behind why God permits things to happen in our lives because he is a good God and, there, and yet at the same time there are some practical benefits. So let's notice some benefits from hard times. And the Bible speaks of four good things that come out of bad things that happen. First of, all, first of all, hard times can stretch us. Now, perhaps you've had in the past dealt with some chronic pain or some difficult situation. And we've had some folks in our church that are dealing with health issues even now. Others are dealing with spiritual issues. Dealing with these difficulties can stretch our character. And yet we can learn what it means to persevere, to hang in there even when we don't want to. Now if you, you, you think about it, we can only learn qualities like patience and endurance if we go through difficulties. If we always get what we want and we just cruise through life with no problems, do you think we'll get patience and endurance? We'll just stay the same and our character won't be refined. James chapter 1 verse 2 
says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. So James says, count it all joy. That's hard for us to do, isn't it? When we're being tested, when we're, our faith is being tried, but that's what the Bible says. Hard times can stretch us. Secondly, hard times can equip us. The Bible says that another reason we go through difficulties is so God can have the opportunity to comfort us. And then in turn, we can comfort someone else. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 3 and 4, it says, The God of all comfort, who comforteth us in our all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted by God. So the comfort that God gives us is for our benefit, but it also is for the benefit of someone else that we're ministering to. We're being comforted in our tribulation so that we can comfort others in theirs. Now, some of you have gone through losing a loved one. You've experienced the emptiness of that loss. Perhaps you have a wayward family member who's rejected God's ways and your heart breaks as you experience the heartache of knowing that they are not walking with the Lord. They're living lives in sin. And yet God is a God of all comfort and he comforts us in our tribulation. Hard times can equip us. But thirdly, hard times can teach us. God may use bad things that you're experiencing to teach you something he can't get through to you in any other way. Hebrews 12 and verse 10 says, for they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. When God wants to teach us something, he allows us to go through some tough times. And God will chasten us so that he can teach us what he wants us to learn. To us, it seems like God is punishing us. But actually, he's attempting to teach us and to free us. Lamentations 3.33, For he doth not afflict willingly nor grieve the children of men. Hebrews 12.11, Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. And then there's one more benefit. Hard times can reach us. God can use hard times to get our attention, to help eternal realities break through. Let's go back to chapter 13 again here for a minute. After bringing up those who were wiped out while they were worshiping, and those who were killed in a construction accident, Jesus gives his answer to the question, why do bad things happen? His reply is, I think, sometimes surprising to us, and yet it's quite strong. And he says it twice in these five verses. Look at verse 3. In verse 3, he says, I tell you, nay. 
but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. So that's after uh, those who were killed in the, in the, uh, uh, the worshipers. And then after uh, verse 4 of those who were killed in the uh, construction accident, he says in verse 5, I tell you nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. And here we see the heart of Jesus. He longs for us to change by repenting of the way we've been living. We think that we somehow deserve good things and God owes us an easy life. And then when things go wrong, we panic. We get distressed. We get unsettled. We get annoyed because it's not supposed to be happening this way. Instead of wondering why bad things happen, Jesus reminds us that we are fallen individuals. We're living in a fallen world. And we should be amazed and thankful that we were given another day to live. That we're not killed or involved in a fatal accident. And while there's still time, Jesus calls us to repentance. I can't help but think of Job. Where is Job when it hurts? One of the most vivid examples of suffering in all of the Bible is the story of Job, and it's a case study of human suffering that gives us the life of a good man who underwent some extreme misery. Think about Job. He lost everything. He lost his job, his possessions, his family, his health, and his friends. How would you respond? Job, in the book that bears his name, is an all-time classic on the problem of suffering. Job's trust wavered. He mourned, he cried, he protested, he questioned, he even cursed the day he was born. Job begged God to give his, uh, answer his questions. He desperately wanted to know why these things, these bad things were happening to him, and God answered him. But the answer wasn't what Job expected. You find the answers in chapters 38 through 41. Instead of giving a direct response, God gave him the longest speech in the entire Bible. And he asked Job questions like, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Where were you when the stars sang in the sky? Uh, do you give the horse his strength and clothe his neck with the flowing mane? Uh, will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? See, all kinds of questions were given to cause Job to think. And then after giving him a the lesson in theology, Job broke down and said in verse 40, uh, chapter 42, verse 3, Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. And then verse 5 says, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye, mine eye seeth thee. And then you notice verse 6 in Job 42. And he said, Wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Catch that? He repented. And that's exactly what Jesus is challenging us in 
Luke chapter 13. Ultimately, the only answer that God gave to Job was himself. It was if, as if God said to him, Job, I am your answer. Learn who I am. And when you know me, you will know how to handle anything. I think that's what he's telling you and me. Know who I am. And when you know me, you'll be able to handle the bad things that happen in life. Job wasn't asked to trust in a plan, but a person. A personal God who is in ultimate control and knows what's best for us. And this has been called the first rule of the Christian life. He is God and we are not. Now the main point of the book of Job is that life is unfair, that bad things happen. And the question really is not where is God when it hurts? Instead, the question is where is Job when it hurts? The most important battles take place inside of us. Where are you when it hurts? Let me, and that's what I'm trying to do here is personalize this for each one of us. Where are you when it hurts? Where am I? God's answer to Job, I think, is very instructive for us. He basically challenged Job in the only way or thing he could control. The only thing that Job could control was his response. And that's the only thing you and I can control is our response to what happens. God moved the tragedy to the future. So now what will you do, Job? You see, blaming God gets nowhere. He needed to decide how he was going to respond. And what, what was he going to do now? Was he going to shake his fist at God? Was he going to get better or bitter? His response was his responsibility. And likewise, we can't change our circumstances. But we can change how we respond to them. And so we find that Jesus is our only hope. What's your response to the bad things that happen in your life? Well, don't give up. Don't become passive. Don't become bitter. Don't become hardened, as so many have done. God is no stranger to your pain. The good news, the great news of the Bible is that God is a suffering God. Jesus Christ died a horrible death on a rough cross to provide you with the ultimate solution for suffering and for death. Now, no, he doesn't take away your pain. He doesn't protect you from bad things, but he can walk with you through them. He may not shield us from all of life's storms, but he does shelter us. And so you and I have a choice. We can accept the bad things that come our way and allow them to stretch us, to equip us, to teach us, and to reach us. Or we can live a bitter, hardened person. And sometimes we choose to believe because of what we see, and often we believe in spite of what we see. As I look at the world around us, many things are very mysterious. Many things are unanswerable. I can't understand why things are happening the way they're happening. But if there is no God, and if he is not good, then nothing at all makes sense. When we hurt, we really have two choices. We can hurt with God or we can hurt without him. 
And if you're hurting today, you may feel like you're at the end of your rope. And I pray that you will trust the Lord. And if you turn away from him, I can guarantee you things will only get worse. Let's bow our heads in prayer.